All right, we are looking at study number 15, Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Last week was a trial run. This week we're going to do it for real, but we may go kind of quickly through the first two sections because those that are following along with us in the outside world um, need to know what the answers were we put down here. So as I ask these questions, we'll, we'll kind of zoom through, but somebody want to read 9 to 12. Let's just bring it back up fresh in our minds before we get to the second half. We'd like to read 7, 9 to 12. Okay. And then I'll catch you on the next one. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All right. So as you look at study sheet number 15, um, Revelation 7, 9, the first question there is, how do we know that this is a new vision? What do we put down there? Okay, because it says, after these things. Not a common phrase in Revelation. It's trying to bring out that they're, they're putting this into a chronological order. It, does it, it did it also in chapter 7, verse 1. So he's putting these things in order of how they're being done, not only with him seeing them, but also in an orderly fashion of how they're happening. How might it fit in chronologically? After the sixth seal was opened, but before the seventh. Okay. After the sixth and before the seventh, or between the sixth and seventh seals, being broken. So what did he see and take notice of in verse 9? Great, great multitude. And we described that, 3793, as a, a crowd of people, a throng the word is often used in reference to common people. It's, it's kind of a hodgepodge group of people. It's just how it shows up. That comes out in um, synonyms of the New Testament by Trench. He kind of uh, does a study. There's a number of words for multitude. And this one, just it's, it's a hodgepodge. And that's what John's seeing. He has, it's, it's not like um, they're orderly or they're from shortest to tallest or men and women or, or something that... Let's know. It's just a group out there. So how does John describe this multitude? What's the amount? No one could count. Which no one could count. So this does not mean they're innumerable. God could count them, but people could not. How about the assembly? From every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues. All right. And I crossed off the word race after peoples on the sheet. That's a bad habit I have. There is only one race, it's the human race, and so don't use that word when you try to describe a unique group. But there it is, nation, tribes, peoples, and tongues, and we have on your sheet there that they're bringing out both Jew and Gentile, kindreds, clans, as far as they were a group that kind of came together, the Hatfields and the McCoys would fit into that. Then the peoples are, are another word for multitudes, and tongues is just referring to their languages, their speech, they're all different from the South or from New York or wherever it may be. So how about the arrangement? 
Okay, brings both of those in. These individuals are standing. They're before the throne, implying the throne of God and before the Lamb. So we have God the Father and God the Son. And what, how were they dressed? Clothed in white robes. And what's significant about these white robes? They went to their feet. They went to their feet. It's a long robe. It's a word stole in the Greek. I don't have my word here. I lost something for some reason. But anyway, um, but they're long robes. They're unique in some ways. And so I, I told myself, I'm going to race through this so let me not get sidetracked. What, what's the anticipation? And We're in their hands. It dawned on me as I worked on this some more this week, uh, so I have to throw this in here, that the reason they did palm branches when he came into Jerusalem was to do what? What's it called? Triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. So he's coming back in in this triumphal entry, and for some reason, culturally, the palm branch means. Why would they have him in their hands when, when he's coming back the second time? What are they anticipating? Because Which why well, I put the word anticipation. Because this is the triumphal coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah, this is the ultimate triumphal entry. He's going to come down. His feet are going to touch on the Mount of Olives. He's going to enter in through the eastern gate and go into the temple itself. So this is a very unique time, and I think that's partly why those palm branches were there. So what were they saying with a loud voice? Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, so both of them are credited with salvation. You looked up the word salvation. It meant deliverance. Preservation. Preservation. Spiritual rescue, physical rescue, ultimately, are credited to both God, the Father, and God, the Son, referred to as the Lamb here. How many angels were there in verse 11? Oh, we gave you some references you can look up on your own there. What position were they in? We're standing. They're standing, but it is a pluperfect. We brought that up in the Greek. It's not very common. Both the action and the effect of the action are in the past which is kind of a unique thing. So they had been standing there and continue to be standing there in the past. It's been an ongoing thing. This is their position. They are sent out as, what's the word angelos, angel mean? Messenger. Messenger. So God would constantly be just, um, I want to use distributing, that's not the word, uh, sending them out. Assigning. Sorry. Assigning them projects or responsibilities or individuals. And so they're coming and going. They don't have time to sit down. But the, yeah, well, maybe that's the case too. But but they're they just are ready for um, service right there before the throne. This is a common position. Blue perfect brings that out. What were they um, around in verse eleven? The throne. The thrones mentioned. And the elders. The elders. Four living creatures. They told you that they're concentric circles. Throne. Four living creatures. Living. I mean, um, elders. Four living creatures. But as it goes out here, it's not necessarily giving you the only order they're in, but it's showing you what's around there. And what did they then do in verse 11? They fell on their faces and worshipped God. The angels fall down. You ever seen an angel fall down? Mm-mm. No. They're going to do it in front of God. Do, do they ever fall down on earth? You ever think of an illustration where they show up with somebody and they fall down? No. Maybe they only fall down before God. But they worshipped him, which is... A critical, important thing here. And what were they saying in verse 12? What was the agreement? Amen. 
At the start they said amen, which I put down there means let it be, it's true, it's certain. And at the end they said amen. amen. So you got these bookends, beginning and ending. They packed it in that what's coming out is true. And what did come out? What was the adoration that, that was being expressed? Blessing. Number two. Glory. Glory. Three. Wisdom. Wisdom. Four. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Five. Honor. Honor. Six. Power. Power. Seven. Might. Might. We talked about seven. Again, refining you that it is complete. It's perfect. This is totality that every, all the attention is being focused on God. They're giving praise with number one. They're giving credit with number two. Uh, they recognize that he possesses insight with number three. Giving gratitude with number four. Recognizing his value with number five. Recognizing his ability with number six. And that he possesses superiority with number seven. And so as far as the ages are concerned, all of this goes to our God how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. It's eternal. All right, so we got through that pretty good last week too, didn't we? Yep. <laughs> I think it's the next. Should we close in prayer? <laughs> okay, so we summarize that, kind of put it together. Uh, and we also gave out some more handouts for those that are at home or somebody wants to contact us and says, I need all the extras that don't come with the study sheet. I'm not sure. Are we even putting the study sheet out with this online? I have no idea how that okay. works. So a lot of people may not even have what we have here. So I don't know how to help them. We so can we can send all of it to you if you'd like. But We can make it available. They okay. just send me an email. We need, I don't know if we even can track who's watching this. We don't get that, right? Yeah, we oh, can. You can. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll find out if it's even a need or if it's just Robin and Bernie. Hi, Robin. Hi, Bernie. <laughs> and they pick up the handouts here at church. So, All right. Who'd like to read 13 and 17? I think Linda, if she still wants to, is going to take that. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These are those, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now this is pretty exciting information at this point. What is, um, uh, what's still coming, I should put it that way? Day of the Lord, which represents God's wrath. 8 through 22. And what's that? I said 8 through 22. 8 to 20, well, no. No, only 8 That's to 11. <laughs> 12 to 22 is, is details that go back into 1 to 11. So you, you want to be careful. A lot of that is in judgment. Judgment. Jim? But judgment, in other words, you could throw in there. And so this is what's still coming, and yet this is what they're recognizing here for those who have done what? Earned their way to God? No. Lived a sinless life? No. Been better than most? No. Prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, gave money, got baptized? Who, who gets this? Those who believers. confess Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. Okay, and how is it used right here in verse um, 14? What have they done? 
washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the they lamb. They washed their robes, made them white, sorry, in the blood of the lamb. Okay, that, that's right in the text is what they've done. That's all they've done. You can't do anything. You can't earn salvation. Um, you can't impress God. Even if you were sinless, Adam and Eve could not impress God. He had just made them. And he could make more if he wanted to. And he allowed them to be the ones that made more. That he made it work through the human process. But God is not impressed. That is not what it's about. He, does, he doesn't wait for us. He isn't sitting next to our bedsides in the morning waiting for our eyes to open. Oh, oh I've been so bored all night and I had nothing to do. And, and I, I needed you. You know, that, That's what a lot of people, I think, think God is there for. And it's not quite like that. He loves us. He wants to share the day with us. But it's, he's not dependent in that way. So we're going to go back, verse 13, and see if we can answer these better than we did last time. Who was uh, the one who questioned John here? Elders. Okay, one of the elders. Out of how many? 24. 24. So this was number 13? Number 4? We don't know. Why only one of them? Why aren't they sitting there as a group grilling the poor guy? I just think it's interesting. Why not one of the living creatures? Why not one of the, just a regular angel? Why is it one of the elders that does it? And I'm sorry, I know I can't ask those questions because we're not told. But it's what I ask when I'm going through here. And who what, was he asking questions about? Those who were clothed in white robes. Okay, these who were clothed in white robes. And why put the focus on them? This is where it all started. <laughs> Draw attention to the fact that John doesn't know who they are. Okay, good. Um, he knows John is sitting there maybe with his mouth open catching flies or at least unaware of who this group is. It is massive. How many people would it take for you to not to say that I cannot number them? Multitude. It'd be a lot of people. Otherwise, you'd say, okay, we just got to organize this a little bit. Do organize and, and get it laid out. So this is a lot of people. Jim? Is there a sense in this, and I... I had it in my note, and I, I didn't cross it out last week, but that this is group has recently become present here? Yes. Okay, and we'll, so get, if, we'll get more to that as we go on. Okay, so that's the answer I put there. They put focus on them because, wait, these guys appeared. Who are they? Could be. And that very well could come out from the present tense that the word come is, is trying to express. Okay. That John, John has a vision, and then here's these people. And I put down that they were a great number making a pronouncement because they had they had the palm leaves in their hand. They were ready to do something. Okay. Um, and along with that, when you're sharing that, uh, and all the things that they said. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, salvation of our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. That's what they're crying out. It's a loud, uh -huh. a loud cry. Um, they're standing. They're clothed in white robes. And, yeah, all of that. Okay, good. Good observation, Linda. And so as you're um, putting the focus on them, there, there could be a variety of reasons, but obviously it's time for John to find out, and the elder's going to help him figure it out, because John does not know. So what two questions did the elder ask regarding those clothed in white robes? What's number one? Who are they? Who are they? So I put down the word recognition. And um, did you write anything next to that? Why would he, or how is he, or what, what, what's the question have to do with anything? I just left you a blank. Because last week you said, I don't know. That's so John I said, I don't know? Or? That's what you said. Yes. He's week. getting John know. to admit his ignorance. Okay, he's getting John to admit he didn't know. Right. I never saw this, so 
I know who they are because I can see it in Scripture. So I hope I didn't leave you that way last week, but that may have started the confusion no, right there. No, she said that John said that. No, no she said, no. oh, I thought you said I said that. No. no. Oh, okay. okay. John said, I don't know. So we'll clarify all of that. Okay, good. That's what we want to make sure happens this week. Yep. So we're not misunderstanding. Uh, okay, so John doesn't know. And what's the origination with number two? Okay. He asked the question, the elder picked these, why would he be asking that? Or what's he trying to point out here? Obviously he's implying something. They didn't just come into existence. They have been alive and they came from somewhere. So what was their past location? Isn't it under the altar? Aren't those the souls under the altar in, in 5 verse 9? Uh, it could be some of them, but that was a group that you could count, or at least that was that wasn't innumerable. When you go back and compare, they didn't have bodies; these people have bodies. So, if they're part of this group, which they probably are, um, they're a small part of a group that's innumerable. So, they have also been raptured and finally given new bodies. Dennis, okay, not a question. So, don't let me confuse you. Keep asking more questions. But he starts him off. The basic idea he's doing here is the elder's going to force John to figure this out. And if not by him answering it, by listening to the one who will give an answer. So John's curiosity has been um, piqued here um, as he puts the pressure on John. This is what Jesus did on a regular occasion. Go back and look at the Gospels. He asked questions a lot of people to get them to answer or to admit they didn't know. And it's a good teaching method. Pat? What is your answer there? From where have they come? I just put down there, what's their past location? When I, it's not an answer. It's, 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 it's just asking, what, is he, what does the question have to do with? And I think all he's doing there is he's simply saying, they've come from somewhere. Where have they come from? What was their past location is what I put down on there. And we're going to explain that. That's where I'm going really slow here. I'm not trying to go too fast. I gave you a packet. This is where um, I know um, Bernie and Robin don't have it because I just handed it out tonight when we got here and I took away your number 17. If you're not going to be here next week, you want 17, it's up here. But I just wasn't trying to confuse. Sometimes you guys take stuff and then you don't remember to bring it back when it's not pertinent for that week. Not that I'm accusing anybody, but I want to make sure you... But if you want it ahead of time or you won't be here next week, by all means, you can have one. I'm trying to be nice to you and follow what I've been told. But this handout tonight, it says the first sheet, the day of the Lord, because that's what we're entering into. So this is just to help give you some background information. The second sheet is the rapture at Christ's coming. And I tried to update that and clean it up a little bit. Found some things that maybe weren't as clear as they could be. uh, And just fixed some things. So anyway, that gets into... What we talked about last week, somebody brought up the idea of, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, and that is true in the sense that it's a Latin word, but it's an okay word. As I put here at the top on that paper, caught up, I gave you the Greek word there, nice long one, or raptured, it means to snatch or catch away. This verb conveys the idea of force suddenly exercise, to snatch away suddenly, transport hastily, Take away, and it's implied there by force, and that comes out of Vine's expository. So the word rapture is similar to that in, in the Latin. So don't get hung up on it. If you want to say, you know, um, the caught up thing or, or the snatched away time, 
you can call it, but the rapture kind of gives a simple way of saying it. I'm not intending to read this, but it goes down through talking about things that will specifically happen with the rapture. The third sheet, the blessed hope of believers, is also often misunderstood. And some of your, a number of your study Bibles have this wrong. It's taken out of Titus 2. I have it right there at the top. It's verse, I don't remember what. 11 to 14. Right, it's 2.11, okay. So it's the first verse, and I gave you the context with it. But the blessed hope, which he says in there, maybe I should read it just so I don't leave it hanging. But this is really important for people to understand because they think the blessed hope is us disappearing, but it's not Christ coming. This is what you'll find in some study Bibles. And what you want to understand when he brings this up in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, he's instructing Titus writing, or Paul writing to Titus, um, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And then verse 13 has the words in it, looking for the blessed hope and, there's no definite article there, the blessed hope and appearing, and literally glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. So the blessed hope and the glorious appearing in the grand, with the Granville Sharp rule in Greek are one and the same thing. Your Bible should not have an article on the second the. It's the blessed hope and appearing. They're one and the same. So when you look at that, you realize the blessed hope that... The um, Christ is going to bring is the rapture, and all of this happens with the rapture, which is why I took the time to go through here. Not going to do it right now, but I'm just making sure you understand why I gave you these. What the blessed hope is seven different things. They're all the blessed hope. It's not just the church being snatched away and nobody knows, and that's it. It's much broader. And it involves the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, which pre-tribulationalism teaches does not happen. They think when Christ comes initially before the 70th week of Daniel that they refer to as the Great Tribulation. It's not. Great Tribulation doesn't start until the middle. But they think when he shows up at the beginning, it's going to be mysterious. Nobody's going to know he came. The church is going to disappear and leave all their clothes folded up neatly on chairs and couches and airplane seats and whatever they were at, and the world will go, where'd they go? That is not true to Scripture. That is false teaching. This paper is to help you understand. So you go check it out. Every one of these has Scripture verses you can refer to and see if it ties in with that. But the blessed hope is the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, which pre-tribulationalism teaches will happen at the end of the 70th week. Not so. So, any questions at this point before I jump back into the study guide? I figured I could explain this without getting in trouble, but we'll go back to questions here. But any questions on the handout? So, when you have issues, go look up stuff and here and follow up scripture that goes with it uh, about the day of the Lord, the rapture, the great tribulation, which I told you was this green sheet that I gave out two weeks ago. Okay, just more information about the great tribulation. Um, much of it collected by a man, but scripture is there for you to go check out for yourself and see if it ties in. No questions? I've got to get back into the study. 
see if I can make sense out of this for you. Okay, how did John reply to the elder in verse 14? My Lord, you know. Aha. And we talked about the word Lord means sir, or it can mean master, but it can also just be a title of respect. And so oftentimes you'll see it used in scripture where he's just calling them sir. It's a form of being submissive to someone and being respectful. So he says, my Lord, or sir, you know. What word does he use for know here? Just oida. So you have head knowledge about this subject, about these questions. You know. You have the facts in your head. I don't, is what John is basically saying. So when we came down to why did he respond like this, what did we say that John was trying to bring out? I'm sorry? Okay, ultimately he did not know, but by responding, my Lord, you know, what is John saying back to the elder? That he does not know. You know and... I don't. I don't, and we talked about some of this last week. Okay. He can also be trying not to stick his neck out because he's not 100% sure. Who is it? John? Okay, I just wanted to clarify who we're talking about here. John doesn't know at all, so he's not even 64% sure. He just flat out out says, I don't know. But when he does this, I share with you out of a uh, commentary by Robert Thomas. This refers, he describes it in this way, man's description. This is a confession of ignorance and an appeal for information. That's all John is saying back to the elder. He's saying, I don't know, you do. So you tell me. It's, it is another, this is a quick way of John simply saying, keep it coming, because I don't have any idea what's, what your questions are about. Confession of ignorance and... An appeal for information. Appeal. Yeah. And I, I just thought he was aware that the elder would know. Yes, he knew he knew. This is a heavenly being around the throne of God. And basically, I think just the fact he's asking John tells him he knows. Do you ever go around asking people questions you don't have an answer to? Yes, yes. And then what happens when they say they don't know and they ask you, which is what you do every week with me? I ask you questions, you say I don't know, and then you turn around and expect me to answer you. That's all John's doing here. Yeah, if you don't know, he's going to find out. Yeah, if I know, and oftentimes I don't know, but the elder does. Um, so he knew that the, I, this is part of my answer, he knew that the elder was asking only so he could answer. So the elder can answer. Just a uh, teaching method or, a, or a, a tool for helping somebody learn. You do this with little kids sometimes. You ask them because you want to find out where they're at. But in reality, you don't expect them to really know. And they don't often know you know. So they don't turn around and say, well, yeah, would you tell me? But they'll, they'll do that. And I've told you sometimes with people, you give them a real simple answer. I told you about my nephew, three years old, says... Um, who, uh, where did all this stuff, let's see, now I forgot how he said it, who is God, yeah, it was, goes back to, it was much deeper, I was going to say what I was saying wasn't, who is God, and I'm standing in the backyard of my parents going, oh no, and all I said to him was, he's the one that made the trees, and the sky, and the clouds, and it's like I couldn't even get out more words, he goes, okay, and he just skipped off, because he wasn't looking for much, and so the same thing, that's the problem with this Bible study, sometimes I give you way too much. And you are looking for that right now. You just want some real basic answers. Right? Right. So I tell you, ignore most of what I say then. Just tune it out. 
and um, move on. So that Confession of Ignorance and an Appeal for Information was from Robert Thomas. He has a commentary, I don't have it with me, but it's on the book of Revelation. And if you really care, it's on page 494 of volume 1. I'm trying to write things down more often. Okay, now we get to that juicy stuff. Right? You're excited. You already studied this week. You looked into it. I won't even ask you. I was going to ask. I won't ask. I expect some of you just pondered over this. You spent hours running through this, trying to figure out the answers to come back. You weren't waiting on Jack. Or you weren't trusting Jack, for sure. So you went and found out for yourself. Right? <coughs> how did the elder respond to John's respectful and submissive answer? See how I put that in there? I explained to you what he meant when he said, my Lord, you know. What was the identification? Okay, and the basic simple fill in next to those, that equal sign, what does that mean? You're, this is, we're not going to scrutinize your answers, just don't know what, what you put in there. Linda? The breaking of the fourth, fifth, and sixth seals. I, I think you said last week, released from the earth. Okay, do you want to, you're not quite, I want your answer. So if I, if I said something, I don't want to confuse tonight, but what does it mean? They've come out of the great tribulation. Okay, that's something they have, but that didn't explain who they are. Okay, I'm, I'll get back to you, Linda, but um, Pat? I put dead and, alive, dead and live believers. Okay, which is called? The church. Which is called? The rapture. The rapture. Or the being caught up, or the snatched away group, or whatever you want to put in there, but that's all we're looking for. I think you guys are overthinking this now. You're afraid of, of things. Well, all believers in Christ, dead or alive, go up in the rapture. That's what we got back on last week. Am I not making sense with that? You can put any little group you want in there. This is the apostles. This is, trying to think of other people that came along and died later. This is uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the, the early church. Okay. Anybody you can think of, they're all in here. So don't lock on to chapter 6 with the martyrs under the altar. They're just one little small segment of millions of people that are going to be snatched up. Jim. It's us. We're going to be there. Yep. Unless we're alive when Christ comes, which we're going to be there anyway. Exactly. Right. I don't want to, uh, just want to clarify. We could be dead, we could be alive, but yes, we're going up in the rapture. So um, that's all I was looking for there. These are the ones, and this is my answer, Pat, because you always want to know what I put on there. I put this equals those raptured from pressure slash affliction. That's all these people are. <laughs> so, does he consider all that the Great Tribulation? Then? Does that all what? All time. All, all time is considered because it's people. No. So I, I gave you a handout. From all time. So why does he? Why does he say it came out of the Great Tribulation? Okay, we're going to get to that. Sounds like that's a specific time. Okay, except we, we talked a little bit about that last week. We're going to try to clarify that tonight. No matter when you died, or if you're still alive, you're still going to come out of the Great Tribulation. Yep. That's, that's all this is trying to say. So I, okay. I think what we're doing is we're locking in that they were living in the Great Tribulation, and that's not what it says. They have been snatched away out of the Great Tribulation, and you say, well, why does he have to snatch the dead? Because that's part of the rapture is taking the church to be with him. 
before he pours out wrath. So you could answer that, which is probably what you're getting at, that the, real, the, ones, the only ones he's really protecting at this point are the believers that are still alive on planet Earth. And they come out. But it isn't when they come out, all the dead come out with them. So these are the ones that have come out of the Great Tribulation. And we can go into the verb a little more. Question. When it happened, when not it happened. when they died or were living. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Okay, and that's what you were trying to get at. So this that kind of helps to simplify what's going on here. Um, he says they, they, uh, these are the ones coming out. So he's, he's focusing on what's just happening at that point, not when they lived or when they died or when they, if they were still alive or not. Present tense, middle voice. So what's interesting with the middle voice, and I, I hesitate to get into this, but what does the middle voice have to do with it? Why wouldn't it just be a, what's that? Okay. How do you say that in Greek? Heck if I know. Um, what, how, what are the three voices in Greek? English only has two. Present. Active, passive, and middle. Okay. Active, passive, and middle. Active, passive, and the Greek throws in a middle. English does not have that. When the English wants to bring out the middle, they have to add words. So they themselves shot the man. Or I shouldn't pick on that. They themselves um, dug the ditch. Or he himself dug the ditch. We'll throw the word himself in there. That makes it into a middle voice because it's happening. It's a reciprocal idea, which is one use of the middle voice that I tend to focus on. There's a couple others, but one of them is really rare. And th- this, this kind of leaves it explaining itself. So you're, you're not doing it to it. It's not being done to you. Active is be doing it to it. Passive is it's being done to you. Middle voice, you do it to yourself. So why would this be in a middle voice? Lest I create more confusion. So, Have they brought themselves out of the Great Tribulation? Because that's how you could translate this. And if so, how did they bring themselves out? Jim? Didn't didn't you say this could be active or passive? Or middle or passive, I mean? I what? mean, that's what... That word can be middle or passive. And I, I always Who told you that? that? That's what it says in the interlinear here. And, and I always thought that the context has to tell you what it is. No, it means that the Greek, the two words are the same, if that's true. But that's not what I ran into. So it, it uses that I will check that out. Okay. I'm looking for... Coming. I'm looking for my lexicon, which I didn't get out of my briefcase. It's not one of the books here. Oh, me. I'm going to throw this back in there. So I'm going to look it up again. They have come? What verse are you on? They're common oi. It's not common for them to, to be both, because that's the whole point, is you want to clarify... Um, and this doesn't tell me either, which is common. This leaves out a lot of the voice, active, passive, middle. Uh, they aren't in here often, and so that's not helping me any. This is another one, though, right here. What word are you working on? The word um, come. These are the ones who come out. Out of is a, is a preposition that's separate. But it's who come is the word that we're looking at here. It's in Revelation 7, verse 
Verse 14. Yeah, yeah verse 14. Yep. Chapter 7. Chapter 6, chapter 7. Present, middle, participle, nominative, plural, masculine. This is a parsing guide of the New Testament Greek by Han. So I'm not sure why they put passive on there. I'd have to do more studying to find out. But anyway, okay, so we'll drop it at this point since there's a question that it was done to them. But it may be what um, was just answered by Rocky a second ago. The way you get to, to be come out is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says here a little bit what later, right here in the same verse, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood. How'd they do that? Same thing. So it's in the same context. So it may imply that you're, the rapture's for you. It's, it's for the taking if you want it. And it, so it may be coming out. But I'll try to see if we can find out more and see if a passive is a, a valid way of doing that one. So the next question we're looking at, and we're all up to speed at this point, right? So the word come, we, we stress there, it, uh, anything you found when you looked it up, very common word, it basically means, okay, it can be arrived, um, I'm sorry, okay, uh, it can be, but then it, that would be a stress on the visual, when you looked it up in vines, anybody look it up in vines? From one place to another. In vines? Okay, right at the very beginning of vines, there are... When you look up the word come, what stands out to me is come is common. There are 39 different words in the Greek that you can translate come. That's why translation gets very confusing to people. The very first one, erkamai, is this word. It's the most frequent verb, denoting either to come or to go. It signifies the act. What does that mean? The act of coming or the act of going, which in the present tense takes us back to the idea that it may be actually happening right then. Paul's or, or John's stressing that this just took place. And so he's witnessing that. And, he's, and then I, know, I won't read more because it'll get confusing. But this is the word here, very common word. Again, um, the tense will, or the voice will have to figure out. But it stresses the act of the coming. Then the word great, 3173, is the common word. Mega. Mega or megas here, plural, or not plural, but just a different form. It means what? What is it? Great. Okay, great. Abundant. Severe. Could be severe. Large. Big. Of degree and intensity. Okay, degree and intensity and a what? Extraordinary. Okay. Now we're stretching it, but it, there are times they'll translate it that way. But the word, the, the basic idea here, when you have a mega sale, it is a big one. Just sale. a big sale. It is a great sale. That, that's, the, that's a common thing you're really looking at here. It can go into many translations according to the context. But then you looked at the word tribulation, 2347. Thalipsis is the word. It means... Affliction distress. can be persecution, but the de definition is more toward distress, distress anguish, pressure. pressure. Um, can be anguish is more of a reaction to it, um, but it's it's a it's. I always use this word when I've been teaching it as a pressure cooker. The great tribulation is going to be the great pressure cooker. That's not going to be a good time to be on planet Earth. 
It's going to be very, very hard on people. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 says, In the last days, perilous times will come. This is describing, probably describing this picture here of pressure and affliction, distress and trouble. Uh, that's uh, first or um, Second Timothy three one. Second Timothy three, starting in verse one, it brings it out. In the last days, perilous times will come. It's not the same word. I think, but I'm thinking those verses one to five of Second Timothy three is describing the great tribulation, and and you realize what people are going to be like at that time, and leading up to it. I'm not trying to limit it only to that, but it's definitely going to be this time of pressure. You think it's hard right now to be a Christian? in any part of the world, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. So what have these believers done in verse 14? They have washed their robes. Washed their robes and made, made them, them white, white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, how do you do this? How do you turn a robe white with blood? Using blood. Depends on if the blood is red or white or clear. Or what color is blood? Red. Our blood is red. When it's exposed to oxygen... He's not trying to be anything mysterious here. So obviously, is this figurative or literal? It's figurative because you have never touched the blood of Christ, the literal blood of Christ. Yeah, they've taken advantage of the blood of Christ to make themselves pure. And this is a figure of speech that they would have used to describe it at the time. I put down here, receive Christ's payment for their sins. And, um, and then I put, I, I abbreviate some things, but cleanse through his shed blood is how I would put it down there. Receive Christ's payment for their sins, cleanse through his shed blood. And so I gave you a bunch of references that tie into that. We can look up some of those if you have questions or problems with it. Some of those are very familiar. A couple of them are right out of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, right in the same book as John was writing earlier. He says... And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to whom, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So he brought it up right in the very beginning of the letter. And then 5-9, just a little ways back, it was brought up again as they worship him. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So this is just how the word is being used there. It doesn't, it doesn't lower its meaning. Because, and again, let me stress this because I've been really careful to tell you, take it literally unless it gives you a reason to do otherwise. But whether it's literal or figurative doesn't minimize the meaning. You just need to make sure you understand what, what the meaning is, what they're actually saying. And so in this case, I would take this not as a literal, I didn't take my robe, I don't have it, and wash it in his blood, I don't have that, which is red, and it was a white robe, and it, or whatever color it was, and when it came out, it turned white. He's not trying to be literal here. So I just stress that as an example, that figures are okay. It doesn't minimize the book or the teaching. He's trying to make a point. And in this process, we do it every day. You did it many times today if you've talked with people. Give me an example. How did you use a figure of speech today? This happened and I could have died. I could have died. You may not have used that one today, but that's a good example. It was a miracle. We use that all the time. That has become a figure of speech, not a literal miracle. 
because literal miracles violate the laws of nature. And those are not happening all around us all the time. The time flew by. Time flew by. Figure speech, great example. But if you stop and ask yourself, I catch myself saying them now. And I'm going, oh, there's one, oh, there's one. <laughs> and so they're, they're a common part of the languages. And so we don't, want to need, we don't need to be afraid of them, but when you're studying another language, you need to make sure you understand what they meant by that. All right? So as he goes on here, uh, they've washed their robes. What were the, uh, next question down, what were the results of these being cleansed in the Lamb's blood? What was the location of them? They are before the throne of God. Prior to being cleansed by the Lamb's blood, where were they? Okay, they were either on earth that they were alive. Well, their bodies would have been buried. They may have been with him. Their soul may have been with them, their spirit. But their body wasn't with them yet at this point. And so, but, and they were not allowed before the throne of God. Now, I'm not going to ask because somebody may tell me I've been there. And um, there isn't anybody that's alive on planet earth that's been before the throne of God. So the fact that they're before the throne of God is screaming out all kinds of information here. It's pretty fascinating. What was their occupation? To serve him day and night in his temple. All right. That's what it says there, right? Verse 15. Yeah. Make sure I get over to where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I could ask you here, because it's going to matter in a little bit. In this case, where do we believe the throne of God is? Well, at the present time, it's in heaven. Now, where do we believe right here the throne of God is, where it's being used? What's the context of this? This is where I'll throw you a monkey wrench, but I have 22 minutes. <laughs> in the second heaven or something? Well, one of the heavens. Third heaven. Okay. Third Typically, the throne of God is in the third heaven, but where are they right now? In John's vision. Very good. That's a good answer. Where does it tell you they are located? Besides before the throne. Heaven. In heaven. And you get that from where? Where's the word heaven used? I don't get it. I don't get this. I don't get it. They're either on earth or we're always saying that John is in this vision and these things are happening in heaven and the other things are happening on earth. At times, in the context, it'll yeah. tell you that. Yeah. But this is a major change here in chapter 7. What just happened? Is this in the tabernacle? Well, he's going to spread his tabernacle. We'll get down to that one in a minute. Can it be? Yeah. What's coming down when Christ comes back? Yeah, that's what I'm about to say. Is it the new Jerusalem comes back? It's coming place? back. So I'm just saying, it doesn't use the word heaven here. You want to be careful that you don't assume things. Jim? In Revelation 4, 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me. Right. And when he goes up, John, not the church, which some people think that's the rapture, that is absolute garbage, when he goes up, he sees scenes where? And he says, verse 2, Immediately I was in spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven. Okay, I'm being more general. Where does John see scenes? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Where does he see them? Some of them in heaven. In heaven some of them on earth. on earth. So you have to go to the individual scene and figure out where is he seeing this happening. Yeah. Another hand up? So I'm just I'm throwing this out because what have I told you many many times? When the rapture occurs, where do I? Where does your pastor 
ex-pastor tell you you don't go? You don't go to heaven. You don't go to heaven. No, you go to where Jesus. After the rapture. You go to where Jesus is. And where is he going to be initially? In the sky. And then where is he going to go? He deals out retribution to the earth. For Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1. And then as he touches on the Mount of Olives, he enters in. Somewhere in there, the New Jerusalem. See, we're getting different scenes from John. When you get the scene of the New Jerusalem in 21-22, there's a throne in chapter 21, verses 1 and 3, in the New Jerusalem. So my question, I threw out just to get you to stay awake tonight and think about it, is as I looked at this and I ponder it because I'm like, okay, am I wrong? Am, am I putting it in the wrong place? Or is this actually us meeting him in the air? Because where's John seeing this? If this just happened, if we lean toward that and it just happened, it's a throng in the sky. If we meet him up there, we still have to get our new bodies, so we can't put the white robes on it. So this has to be the new Jerusalem. Well, or at least has to be in the, the atmosphere of the earth, not in the third heaven. So that's why I'm, I'm not telling you to preach this. I'm telling you to think about it. And let the scriptures determine what you do with it. Linda? Well, in the earlier chapters, when we saw the 24 elders and we saw the lampstands and we saw all the things going on, that was in heaven. Right. So but we're not in that context. But, John's okay. getting visions of both. That's yeah. what I was trying to tell so, you. So you've got to go um, to each individual context. So <coughs> saying this, because uh, it's he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle. And so are you saying that when Christ comes, the new Jerusalem comes with him and hangs in the air? Is that what you're saying? Because the wrath hasn't come yet. We'll make more sense out of that when we get to 21. But my basic answer would be yes. So people will be able to look up and see the people still on the earth. Will they, they will be able to see Christ. In Every the, eye will see him. Yes. Chapter and 1, verse 7. They will also see the new Jerusalem hanging there. And they'll see millions upon millions of believers who have met him in the air. They'll see all of his angels that are coming with him in mighty flames of fire. They're going to see a lot of stuff. So they, this, this, that will be available to all the people as they're going through. As far as I know, if they're not hiding out in a cave or the rocks haven't covered them or they haven't died yet, I mean, yes, it, it'll be available to them, but are TV cameras working? What side of the planet are they on? You know, I, I don't know how to answer that directly for individuals, but they're going to gather. The kings of the earth are going to gather together to do what? Fight who? Christ. Where is he? He's in the sky. I mean, I knew he was, but I just didn't realize that and we're with him. Thus we shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4. So I'm just throwing out some stuff. I'm beginning to compile some things in my little brain. And, and it stood out to me. When I hit that, I went, okay, I've got to answer this, even though I don't think anybody's going to bring it up. But I have to bring it up, and I have to answer it for myself. If we don't go back to heaven, if we meet him in the air, thus we shall always be with the Lord, and he deals out retribution that I can show you verses for, and then his feet touch on the Mount of Olives and the 144,000 join him there, and then he enters into the temple and repossesses the city of David and takes over to reign over planet Earth. He's not going back to the third heaven. Yeah. We're not going back to the third heaven. So I have to wrestle with it. So you just kind of stick that on the shelf, 
ponder a little bit, but there's there's enough in Scripture that we could take time to to cause some good questions to be asked. What has created a lot of the confusion is pre-tribulationalism. Post-trib has not created a lot of the confusion. Post-trib means after the 70th week of Daniel. See, they all believe when they say pre-trib, post-trib, they think the tribulation is seven years long. That's false. And that's why I gave you a handout. You can go look up these verses and realize Matthew 24, 15, and 21 tells you it begins in the middle of the 70th week. Matthew 24, 29 says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood. Those things happen, and that introduces the day of the Lord. So the great tribulation starts in the middle and is cut short, Matthew 24, 22. It's amputated. How long is it? Don't know. Nobody with their study Bible should be telling you it's seven years long. The Bible doesn't tell you how long it is. And it actually tells you it's cut short. So if it was intended to be seven years long and it's cut short, now how long is it? They still don't know. They shouldn't be answering that way. They should let Scripture do the speaking. But they're desperate to get pre-tribulationalism taught because I I really don't know why. Because pre-wrath is 90% the same thing as pre-trib. It just changes the timing and it breaks off that the great tribulation is not the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, God's wrath, is not the great tribulation. They're two different things, which is why I happen to give you a handout on the day of the Lord and a handout on the great tribulation. So you can go check this out for yourselves because you need to develop convictions about it. Linda. Okay. Just, just because we were on this subject, okay. so I went to chapter 21. Check. Then I saw a new heaven and a new... Is this one of those times where the then shouldn't be there? Because okay, it's not I have to look at I'll look at the Greek, chapter 21, verse 1. The first word, well, it may not be the first word, but it often is, it is then. the word chi. It's the word and, and. not then. Okay. And, I saw new, okay, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So, and then it keeps going with all of that. That's yeah. he's describing the New Jerusalem coming down from where? Heaven. Out of heaven. Down, Which heaven? Out of heaven from God. You could say it's in the third heaven because Jesus said, "I go to prepare a place for you," and it might involve that. But you can also say it's in the first heaven because that's where it comes down, and then eventually comes down to planet Earth. First heaven is your atmosphere. Second heaven is your starry universe. Third heaven is where God dwells. Okay, and Jim? I just wanted to make oh. sure that that then is, that's not It's a, just an and. They shouldn't have translated it then. Jim? Isn't this after the day of the Lord, after God's wrath, when the new Jerusalem comes down? Yes. Okay. So that isn't what we're looking at here in 7, because... No, but if the New Jerusalem's there, which again, it's not in the passage, so I'm not pushing for that. I'm just saying it's coming at some point, and so then you go do a study on the New Jerusalem, and you can find out what does the Bible say about that, and how does that all fit in. But if it's, if it's, um, if it's there in chapter 7, then it would fit in with the information we're trying to share. But 21, it's often misunderstood. They'll grab on to 21, since Linda brought it up, and they start quoting all this stuff down, uh, and they heard a loud voice, and there again, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. That's an interesting phrase that is brought out here in our passage. 
So I'm going to write Revelation 21.3 next to this. This is what I do. I just start looking up stuff and putting things together. But here's the new Jerusalem. It's the tabernacle of God is among men now. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And then it says, he shall wipe away every tear from whose eyes? Who's there in the context right there? It's his people. That's what he's going back to. People think there are no more tears on planet Earth. That's not what it's saying. There's no more tears in the new Jerusalem. There's no more tears with his people because they have been redeemed. But then he says, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. Inside or outside the new Jerusalem? Inside. 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 Outside, if a child dies at the age of 100, they're going to be considered a curse. And there shall no longer be any mourning inside. That's the word we saw with the Sermon on the Mount. Or crying, or pain, the first things that passed away. But as he goes in here and describing the New Jerusalem, it has often been taken, and it's probably in a lot of your study Bibles, that this is just describing this paradise on earth. And it's not. It's just told you right there. It's describing the New Jerusalem. So people grab onto stuff, and they want to they make things. And so when I got in trouble about the streets of gold that I brought up, yeah. um, and with the the um, five good news yeah. booklet. I'm just following scripture. The, the streets of gold are in the new Jerusalem. Yes. Where's the new Jerusalem? I got to go into scripture and figure out where that is. But it's not heaven per se. It's its own entity. It's its own place that will be in. You're going to see it someday. And you're going to be coming up to me. I'm going to be sitting there drinking lattes. And you're going to be saying, <laughs> you were right. You were right. You were. Oh, here's where you were wrong. Okay, don't bring that one up. And, and you're going to find out some things that I'm like pre-trivial when I originally taught it. But I work at not trying to be wrong. Not for a prideful thing. That's what I was trying to bring out Sunday. I want to be a gentle, a meek man. That's who Christ is. That's who I'm trying to emulate. That's what all of us should be like. I don't go out of my way to not be meek. But that doesn't mean that I'm weak. That doesn't mean I don't stand up for truth. That doesn't mean I don't confront sin. That doesn't mean I don't contend earnestly for the faith. That I wouldn't cast people out of the temple if it was my role to play. So we got to make sure we're not letting men teach us what the Bible says. You let the Bible teach you what it says. Put it into its context and understand it correctly. So there's sermon number 5,642. So going on here. There before the throne of God. Where is that? Eh, kind of loose right now. We'll leave it loose. What's their occupation? Serving him day and night in his temple. Where's that? that's got to be in heaven, right? What do we have in the New Jerusalem? When you study, you go to chapter 21. Well, now I have to go back there again. Chapter 21. There's no temple. There's no physical temple. But what is there? And the Lamb are its temple. The temple of it. Ah. It says, and I'm looking in the wrong book because I don't remember what part. Okay, verse 22. I saw no temple in it. That literally is only the Holy of Holies. Uh, that's one word that's used for temple. It's the inner shrine or inner sanctuary, the Na'an. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So if here he says they serve him day and night in his temple, what is he trying to say? Possibly. Well, the temple is, hasn't come to earth yet. His presence? It's no, it's God's presence is yeah. the temple. And the next line, the communion kind of reinforces that. He who sits on the throne throne shall spread his tabernacle tabernacle over them. What's tabernacle mean? His dwelling, his tent. 
What does that imply? What were the, who was allowed into the tabernacle in the Old Testament? High priest into the Holy of Holies and the priest into the tabernacle itself doing certain services. We're going to be a, or, um, have his tabernacle, his tent, his dwelling uh, spread over us. This is just another emphasis on communion with God. A very personal, intimate relationship with God. But he is the temple. So if that's what's being referred to here in, the God, in Revelation 7... Knowing what was coming in Revelation 21, we might lead to that, but I'm not going to push that to the nth degree. What's the provision here? They shall hunger no more. They'll hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. And again, the context here, is everybody on planet Earth? No. Nope. No. Who is it? The ones that have come out of the Great Tribulation, the believers that have now received new bodies, that stand in the presence of God. What's the protection provided for them? Neither shall the sun be down on them, or, nor any heat. Okay, what does that mean? Is the sun gone? No. No. What does Revelation bring out about that in chapter 21? There's no need for the sun. There's no need of the sun because... The Lord is the light. The glory of the Lord. What verse are you reading? 23. Okay, 23. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamp. So then what is he getting at here? What's he trying to bring up when he says, neither shall the sun beat down on them? What's the normal part of life today? What if you are a worker and you have to go out into the field? Which tens, hundreds of millions of people do in our world. Well, there won't be any uncomfortableness. Okay, it could bring implying more of that. But the, the sun is not going to be destructive to you. It's not going to be harmful to you. There's not even going to be any heat on you. Aren't some people going to be really, really happy to read that? As we sit in an air-conditioned building in the shade of the roof. Many in the world, many believers in the world, are ostracized and kicked out, and they, they'll meet under a tree, but not out of the heat. So there's fascinating things brought up, but he's talking about the believers here. He's not saying the, won't, the sun will not shine. What will the Lamb or the Son do for them from the center of the throne? How will He guard them? To be their shepherd. 4165, that means He will do what? Really? Okay, one at a time. Firm oversight. Okay, firm oversight. Rocky? Okay, protecting His flock. Specifically, this word means shall be their shepherd. Okay. Protection is part of it, but you're missing, you're leaving out the part, the other part I'm looking for. Ruler. When you look up the word, it should have said care for, tend, go to vines. The word for pastor is this word, poimon. It, it pastor, when you have a pastor in a church, he is simply a shepherd. He cares, he tends, he rules over, he protects, he provides for. All of that comes out from the shepherd. Okay, one more time. The to supply the requisites for the soul's okay, needs. Okay, requisites. For the soul's needs. Okay, and this is for the body's needs as well. This is trying to uh, bring out everything that's necessary. When you go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. want. My needs are met. I just have to follow the shepherd. Don't run away. Don't do something dumb. Don't think you can do better than the shepherd. Just follow the shepherd. 
And when you go through that psalm, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, part of feeding. He leads me inside quiet waters, part of feeding. He restores my soul. That can simply be in the, in the Hebrew, just restores my life, everything about me. But he goes on describing, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That's why he tells us to fear not. That's why he tells us to be anxious for nothing. He is our shepherd. There's nothing going to happen to us that isn't under his control. Unless we're sinning and rebelled and gotten ourselves in a position we shouldn't be in. It doesn't mean he stops shepherding, but there's going to be consequences getting us back to the fold. And maybe even scars. So the second one, how does he, I, I put the word in there, but he shall do what? Guide, Guide them to springs of the water of life. When you get to Revelation 22, what flows out from under the throne? Well, what kind of water? He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall no longer be any curse in the throne of God, uh, and the Lamb shall be in it. Again, he's still referring to the New Jerusalem. So, fascinating here that he's bringing these up early on in chapter 7, and potentially because it already is the New Jerusalem. Potentially. Not going to fight over that or, or die for it, but I lean strongly toward that. What will God the Father do for them in verse 17? Wipe every tear from their every eyes. Every tear he's going to wipe from their eyes. And that word wipe means to obliterate, erase, erase obliterate, and what? Cancel. Cancel. Just wipe away. So you see this again in Revelation 21, verse 4. I gave you that on your paper. You obviously went back and read it and studied it and pondered it because it says he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. No longer any death, no longer any mourning, no crying, no pain. Things that make us cry, gone. So how was this future promise also prophesied in the Old Testament? We'll close off. Let's turn to Isaiah 25. And we'll get some, a volunteer to read that and make sure your microphone's working. Tap, tap. Isaiah 25. Someone that hasn't had an opportunity to read yet. Verses 6 to 9. What does it say? Okay, I can do it. All right. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. <coughs> and I'm going to which one? Nine. Nine. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Okay, so what mountain is referring to in 6 and 7? Context goes back to 24 and verse 23. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun will ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in... Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. And so you're, you're seeing this picture laid out and, and again prophesied what we're studying and what's still future to us is coming. 
So, less confusion tonight. You don't have to believe Jack. Don't go there. Just do your own study. Ponder some of this. But make sure you're pulling from the text what it says, not what you think it might mean. That's all I keep stressing. Better than last week. Linda. Well, I mean, maybe I'll just ask you this because it sounds so... <laughs> okay, you can ask it and we'll close because, in prayer. Because... So, okay, so the heat. You know, when we were talking about the heat. This is only when we're in the New Jerusalem will those not suffer from the heat because you said that when we we will there will be people who have jobs outside taking okay. care of cities and whatever. Good question. Good and logic. And there's people. But look at the text. Uh, I, mean, I don't want to take too long because we're already running out of time. Okay. You go back to verse 15. It says, for this reason, this is Revelation 7, 15. They are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over him. And then it says, they shall no longer or no, hunger no more. Doesn't tell you where. Yeah. Okay. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun be down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear. So the implication is, no matter where they are, this is what's been given to them. But those that have entered into the um, millennium, the first thousand years that Christ is going to reign, in bodies that can die, and some of them will, and a number, quite a number will at the end of the thousand years because they'll rebel. They're still in physical bodies that can die, that can suffer, that are not given these promises. And if they're ungodly, if they're wicked, whatever the term is used, I just lost it. They cannot go in in Revelation 21, 15, is it? When it tells you that outside... Nope, uh, we're in the, I'm in the wrong... Nope, I have the right thing here. Uh, oh, it's 20, 22, 15. I'm sorry, that's why. Outside uh, are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So, verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they have, may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside the city, you have unbelievers. They're not allowed in. Gates are left open all the time, as you read in chapter 21, but there's an angel that has a big, burly beard and muscles, and I don't know what they look like, but they won't let them in, even though the gates are open. So, is it going to be the mark on your forehead? Is it going to be the glow that us new believers have that the angel is going to go, you're good, you're good, you're good? I don't know. So we will have that same, same protection on us whether we're inside the New Jerusalem or outside doing whatever God has as for us to do during the, yes. the thousand years. Because we have new bodies. Yeah. Our new bodies cannot die. And they will no longer mourn, suffer, cry, weep. None of that will happen to them anymore. It's just who they are. It's not the city that's giving you that. It's Jesus that's giving you that in your salvation. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. This is downright exciting to anticipate. And uh, our inside inner feeling kind of wants to hold back and say, well, is this all true? Are we getting this right? And it wants to hold back because we're seeing a lot of suffering today. And some in this room are physically going through some hard times. But it's true. And it comes when you restore all things with a new heaven and a new earth. And you give us new bodies, all of them being kinos. They're refreshed. They're totally changed. 
even though we become new creatures in Christ Jesus on the inner part of us, we will be new creatures in Christ Jesus on the outside. Not necessarily changing our looks, but improving them greatly and um, allowing us to be set free to serve and not to focus on our heartaches and our need for sleep and doctors and whatever else may be going on. So thank you. We're looking forward to your son's return. We have a lot to learn, but we see that we can put scripture together and see the big picture as long as we take in your word as a whole and take it in correctly. So thank you for it all. Help us to serve you now with the goal of bringing you glory and bringing individuals to you, both for salvation and for maturity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.